Welcome to another episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. Counting down movies, music, TV, and pop culture. One top five at a time. And now, here are the two peas. Episode of Two Peas on a Podcast. I'm so happy that you joined us as I am every single week. This is Gerald here with you. Obviously the one stable P every week. Let's say hello to the other P on the pod this week. I'm very excited to have this guy. He's been on a few times before. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, lives fairly close by. We actually got an opportunity to meet in person for the first time just a couple weeks ago. So this is exciting to, to get back together with him and, and talk about a very interesting countdown this week. But say hello to Brian Loisauce. Loy, what's up, brother? How are you? Hello, Gerald. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And it was wonderful getting to meet you uh, after you were coming back from Livestream for the Cure. Yeah, such a great cause. And, you know, we were talking about my dedication to making that happen, but I was just determined, even with COVID and everything else going on, you know, even kind of the uh, racial tension that's been going on in the world kind of started that week, too. And it was just a weird time to be traveling. But I was so committed to get up there for, you know, for Epic Film Guys and for the live stream. And I'm so glad I did. It was uh, it was an awesome experience. And then, of course, they hit their goal, which was great. So I was glad to be a part of that. And uh, obviously, you're, you're a huge part of that, too. And uh, getting to meet you and Justin on the way back was just icing on the cake, brother. So I, I, I share that sentiment with you that it was a blast to get to finally meet in person. Why don't you tell everyone, Brian, you know, this list I feel like is uh, possibly very personal to you, uh, probably a special one for you. Why don't you tell the folks what exactly is it that we're doing? What are we counting down tonight, man? We are counting down our top five LGBTQ plus films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I was very, um, f- well, I'm always flattered when you have me, uh, when, when you come to me and say, hey, I'm thinking about uh, <laughs> right. having you on as a guest for, for so-and-so. It, it really is an honor. Mm-hmm. And LGBTQ films are important to me specifically because I am a member of the LGBTQ plus community. I think now more than ever, it's important to make films that represent those in the LGBTQ community and tell their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been so, so many great films uh, that have been about people of that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to be talking about several tonight. But I think, you know, like I, like I said, I think it's just important now that we, we hear more of their voices. And I'm excited about the opportunity to talk about these films with you tonight. So me too, once man. again, I want to thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Me too. It's always a blast when you come on. We were talking about it before we started recording how the uh, which I don't think the I don't think this was the last time you were on, but we did a top five Disney songs about a year ago. I'm sure you'll recall, and it's like the most downloaded episode for the peas, man. <laughs> so people love the Loisot. I'm, I'm sure I have absolutely nothing to do with that. I think people just love Disney. 
<laughs> but well, at any rate, it's Pride Month, so that's what we're yes, celebrating. That's right. So this episode will be wrapping up Pride Month. So happy Pride Month to everyone out there. Obviously, a very important time. Uh, regardless of what the current administration may uh, think or the messages that they may put out there, it's very important to me, and uh, I know it's very important to you as well, Loy. So I'm sa- I'm happy that you are the one to be here for this particular countdown. You know, I wanted to do it uh, really for Pride Month, and I kind of had the idea last year, and I didn't get it in in time, and I, I knew it was coming back around this year, obviously. And I'm I'm usually a pretty organized, dude, so I, I kind of got ahead of the game and I said hey man let's record this and I asked you if you wanted to do it and you did and we uh, we had this recording planned a couple different times and it just fell through and here we are finally doing it so it's going to actually wrap out our episodes for Pride Month for June of 2020 so uh, Brian Loy I'm so excited you're here man now when you were coming up with your list man do you want to tell folks because you were telling me a little bit about uh, criteria for you personally because this was such an important kind of topic for you that you wanted to make sure that you kind of spread the representation around a little bit. So you want to tell folks kind of how you structured your list? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of give myself some parameters, I suppose, because top 10 or top five lists or whatever, do, I, I enjoy reading them. I enjoy listening to them uh, on the Two Peas on a Podcast show. But when I'm putting them together, it makes me extraordinarily nervous. I think uh, ranking things is arbitrary. And I think it's difficult for me to narrow down the films that I've seen, let alone the films that exist out there that fit this criteria. Because like I said, there are so, so, so many great uh, films in the LGBTQ genre. So what I tried to do in coming up with my list is try to give representation to each letter of LGBT and Q. So that's my top five, essentially. I have one for L, one for G, one for B, one for T, and one for Q. So that's how I kind of made it easier on myself Mm -hmm. and also tried to give representation to each facet of what LGBTQ stands for. Sure, and I applaud that. And I really wish that I could do that, but I wonder, and I was telling you this before we started as well, but I just wonder how deep that pool is for me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know uh, how, and now, you know, if I put in a lot of research and a lot of watches prior to doing this, I'm sure I could come up with something. But what I did, (laughs) which is not going to fool anybody that uh, knows me personally, but I was much more simple in my approach. So uh, it is important to me, like I mentioned in the intro, and I do love this genre of film and the representation that it gives to those uh, to that minority of folks, if you will. And uh, what I did, though, is I have 10 because I have my honorable mentions as well. And I just picked, you know, I went through and I, you know, I, go- I did the Google thing. I did the letterbox thing and I looked at different lists and different you know, movies on, on my best of list and and kind of picked out the ones that would be considered uh, gay or LGBT. And uh, which ones did I like the best? You know, that's kind of how I went with it. And I know that sounds really basic, but that's what I did. So I had initially about 20 movies and I narrowed it down to the, my 10 favorite. And then I kind of ordered them, uh, you know, which ones I would rewatch tonight. You know, what's the first one I would put on tonight? So it was more like an entertainment value enjoyment on rewatch kind of um list for me and it was also like the impact that the movie had on me possibly the first time I saw it uh does that make sense am I sounding is that sounding articulate enough for for oh yeah absolutely (laughs) but it is a much more simple but I really respect what you did and I'm actually excited to see how you kind of have that well-rounded uh representation there so that's really cool all right man so Brian Loy's here you know he's uh I didn't mention mention it but I guess anyone that listens to my show knows this but you're the god of podcasting you're part of the epic film guys over there so uh that's where Brian is joining us from and I'm so happy that he's here to count down our top five LGBTQ movies. 
five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. You want to get us started, man? I would say number five, but I guess just give us your L representation, which will count as your five. But even though I know that might drive you crazy, but go ahead, you can get us started off, Ryan. What do you got, man? Yeah, these are these are rank, these are not ranked at all, <laughs> right, and right. My, and my list is by no means definitive. But um, my number five or my L film mm-hmm. is Portrait of a Lady on Fire from mm-hmm. 2019. Um, this is a a staggering, sweepingly romantic work of art from director Celine Sciamma. Um, can I get a hell yeah for female filmmakers, Jared? Hell, can I get a hell, yeah? hell yes, dude. Hell yes. Thank you very much. So um, the story centers around the romance that develops between a young noblewoman and the artist hired to paint her portrait. It takes place in 18th century France, which in itself is devastating because you know just by the very nature of when the story is set that the relationship is doomed mm-hmm. um but as a result of its supernaturally uh, sharp script it pitch perfect performances and some of the best ever uses of setup and payoff imaginable it it really captures the the yearning and the ache of loss just so mm-hmm. immensely powerful uh, in such an Im- immensely powerful way. Despite its period setting, though, it feels so, so thoroughly modern, um, perhaps better than any movie I've ever seen. It, it portrays intimacy as filtered through the female gaze. You know, compare this to a movie like Blue is the Warmest Color, mm-hmm. uh, which relished in gratuitous sex scenes that that exploited the young actresses involved. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire it is sexy, but it's not exploitative. Right. It's romantic. Uh, right. No, I get it. Absolutely. But just beyond that, I mean, it, it, it also touches on themes of female autonomy and art as a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's certainly one of the most beautiful films ever made. Uh, I've seen it four times now, and it's just as breathtaking and bewitching every time I watch it. Well, not to give too much away, but I just pre-ordered the Criterion Blu-ray for Portrait, so... Uh, this will be talked about on Gerald's side of the table later as well. I absolutely love this movie, which I think you knew that already, uh, being a friend of mine, because I've mentioned it a few times on this on this program. But I'll just say, uh, I'll just use the word masterpiece with this film. I feel like this film is an absolute masterpiece, and uh, I will be discussing it later. And you know, it's funny, <laughs> it's funny, Brian, because uh, I don't know if you remember this, but you know, the Alamo was was screening it for me, and I know I think you guys got it as well before the whole COVID stuff kind of fell through. And uh, I was asking you, remember? I was hitting you up, and I was saying, what did you think of Portrait? What did you think of Portrait? And you were ghosting me. <laughs> you wouldn't tell me what you thought of it. And then I saw a letterbox that you watched it. I'm like, you didn't have a review on there. You didn't tell me what you thought of it. And uh, I had to wait till you did your um, film, film club screening for it before I kind of finally really got what you thought of it. I mean, I knew you probably liked it because I, I kind of know your sensibility. But uh, it's funny. I had to get you on my show to tell me. <laughs> You thought a portrait of a lady on fire. Well, Gerald, it's it's never uh, <laughs> intentional when I when I ghost you. I, I have, know, man. It's giving you a hard time. I have a very limited uh, attention span, yeah, and no, I've I got a lot going on. So <laughs> apologies there. Oh, please but, don't. Th- please don't. I consider, get it, man. consider that my review. I mean, if I had seen this last year, I would have put it on my yeah. top 10 of 2019. Mm-hmm list for epic film guys certainly yeah so for all intents and purposes that's my review and i'm glad you finally (laughs) know where i stand it's a masterpiece yeah i agree man i'm gonna be talking about it uh here shortly so portrait of a lady on fire is brian's uh, well l i would say number five but this is l 
So my number five uh, is kind of, you know, and I mentioned this too in the pre-roll with you, Brian, but I feel like my list is going to be considered somewhat mainstream. I think all five of mine and out of my top 10, probably probably seven or eight of them are pretty well-known films that made a lot of money that did really well critically, that kind of thing. So, you know, I hate to be kind of quote unquote basic in that way. But I do love these movies, and at the time that a lot of them came out, it's not that they were necessarily cool, you know what I mean? They were kind of against the grain, and they were kind of doing something different. And this is one of them, and it's um, it, it, to me, it's a very beautiful portrait of gay love, uh, especially in a time when that was not accepted. Uh, in this particular case, in the 1960s, between two for lack of a better way to put it, Cowboys. But it's Brokeback Mountain by Ang Lee, which came out in 2005, would be my number five. Yeah, we'll try this one. And I'll say it just once. Go ahead. Tell you what, we could have had a good life together. Fucking real good life. Had us a place of our own. But you didn't want it, Ennis. So what we got now is Brokeback Mountain. Everything's built on that. That's all we got, boy. Fucking all. So I hope you know that if you don't ever know the rest. You count the damn few times that we have been together in nearly 20 years and you measure the short fucking leash you keep me on and then you ask me about Mexico and you tell me you kill me for needing something I don't hardly never get. You have no idea how bad it gets. And I'm not you. I can't make it on a couple of high altitude fucks once or twice a year. You are too much for me, ass. I wish I knew how to quit you. Then why don't you... Why don't you just let me be, huh? Because of you, Jack, that I'm like this. You a fan of Brokeback? Oh, absolutely. It's devastating. Yeah, it really is. So this is a beautiful uh, film, you know, shot very beautifully, I mean, and the love story is beautiful. The fr- the story of friendship, really, I mean, really, is what it is at its core, is very beautiful. And just a lifelong friendship and companionship that Jack and Ennis have towards each other. Uh, just so heartbreaking. And some of the supporting roles in this, too, really stand out to me. And they kind of get forgotten about. And they're kind of in the background a little bit, particularly Michelle Williams. Uh, her portrayal of Alma in the film, which is Heath Ledger's wife. And I don't know if you recall the scene when they're re- Jack and Ennis are reunited and she kind of walks in on them kissing uh, when they're reunited and she goes back into the home and just the devastation and kind of blindsided uh, way that she reacts to that and is kind of submissive and silent but you can tell that inside she's just like what the hell did I just see and it's just it's very torturous you know and she does an amazing Michelle Williams is a great actress in my opinion she was really really good in this uh but yeah I mean just the performances are amazing Ang Lee is a great filmmaker and this is shot with those very kind of like monotone colors uh very dry kind of sensibility and I love it man it's so beautiful it's the setting you know that a lot of the landscapes in the film are so beautiful and the love story really shines through here so I know that you know uh some people will refer to like the sex scenes are like rough and like you know there's it's almost like it's trying to be a little too manly and I get that and it's kind of become a character over the years I understand all that but if you if you don't know anything about that let's just say like you don't have any of that kind of pop culture knowledge of Brokeback Mountain and you sit down to watch it and you're not a biased individual and you watch it. I mean, that's a beautiful uh, story of love and friendship, in my opinion. So that would be my number five. I haven't seen it too long. It's been a few years since I saw this. Well, that's a terrific pick. And you're right about it kind of becoming a punchline. But I think anyone who 
watches it should kind of put that out of their mind and watch it with fresh eyes. And mm-hmm. it, as, as you said, uh, just be amazed at just the the tenderness of it and uh like i said emotionally devastating so that's a great pick thanks man yeah i pr- appreciate it brother so and i need to rewatch that man it's been a few years and i watched a couple scenes um you know when i knew we were doing the episode a couple scenes that i remember that i loved to kind of get it uh, fresh in my mind but i do love that movie i love angley as a filmmaker so broke back mountain getting a shout out here at my number five which shoots us over to you brian i'm not gonna say number four i'm just gonna i'm just gonna turn it over to you What's your next one? So G stands for gay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, fussy, 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 Martha Graham, Martha Graham, Martha Graham. The Birdcage. Yes, okay. 1996. So, not only does The Birdcage hold up in terms of um, sensitivity towards its gay characters, but for my money, it's one of the funniest movies ever. Um, directed by Mike Nichols with a screenplay by the great Elaine May. Stars Robin Williams as nightclub owner Armand and Nathan Lane as his drag queen partner Albert, uh, who try to they try to pass themselves off as straight in mm-hmm. order to impress or in order to um, assimilate with their uh, son's uber conservative in laws to be, played by Gene Hackman and Diane Weist. <laughs> Are you trying to ruin me? Don't look at me. I'm hideous, hideous, fat, and hideous. <laughs> I'm in such pain. I know, honey. It's gonna pass. Oh, no, it'll never pass. I hate my life. Oh, <laughs> there is a packed house out there. Oh, that's all I am to you, isn't it? A meal ticket. Stand. Never mind about my feelings. Never mind about my suffering. It's just about your show. Not even our show. Your show. Well, I want a palimony agreement. And I want one now. Well, I don't have a palimony agreement on me right now. Is tomorrow all right? Don't use that tone to me. What tone? That sarcastic, contemptuous tone that means you know everything because you're a man and I know nothing because I'm a woman. You're not a woman. Oh, you bastard. So for all intents and purposes, it's a it's a standard sitcom plot, um, mm. mainly an excuse for, you know, double entendres and close calls and gags. But these gags are, they're just so funny. And... Mm-hmm. and They work because of the cast. I mean, Robin Williams and Nathan Lane are just at the absolute top of their game. I I think the portrayal of homosexuality is perhaps a bit outdated. They really, I mean, they play up the stereotypes because it's a broad comedy. Right. Uh, There is kind of, it is kind of perpetuating that idea, though, that like feminine men are not real men. Mm-hmm. There's many lines in the dialogue where it's like, be a man. And right. It's like, well, he has a whole mo- uh, montage where he's like teaching him how to walk like a man and, you know. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, nevertheless, I mean, the I, film is playing up those stereotypes to, in, 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 because it is a comedy. Um, right. And I still think that m- much of the political humor, sadly, still applies today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but ultimately, I think the, the movie balances its its screwball antics with a depth and a humanity. It demonstrates the completely unapologetic just acceptance of the relationship between Armand and Albert and the tenderness that they show towards one another and the fact that the film does not judge them, I think makes the birdcage really ahead of its time. Yeah. And I think uh, this is my number four as well. Oh, <laughs> so, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And, feel free to weigh in. And then you mentioned portrait earlier. So you were talking about no crossover. That's funny, but uh, yeah, I love the birdcage and I actually threw this on and watched it today. Uh, Cause oh. it was, I felt like it would be something kind of, you know, safe to have on in the background while my son was doing whatever he was doing. I mean, he wasn't watching it with me, but he was home and, you know, doing whatever. So I felt like it was kind of safe to have that on as opposed to some of these other ones, perhaps. But uh, it's just so funny, man. Like, 
you know, I do feel like that, like you said, and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that, where they do kind of take the stereotypes and kind of amp them up a little bit for entertainment value. And maybe it's a little, uh, you know, you use the term outdated, but it's just a little more cartoonish maybe than it is in real life. Um, but I also feel like they do have that facade of the uh, of, of the drag show and they work for the drag club. So it kind of makes sense and it kind of fits and it never seems, you know, insensitive to me as a viewer. Um, but it's just so hilarious, man. I mean, Nathan Lane in this movie is absolute platinum gold in this film, dude. It's just so funny. And uh, this came out in 96, you said, right? I think that's it's mid that's right, yeah. mid-90s. So, I mean, 25, 24 years, and this film is still hilarious. Like, I was watching it, you know, five, six hours ago, and I was still cracking up at, really, at Nathan Lane, how he just has, like, the maniacal screams whenever, you know, <laughs> something really basic happens. Like, he honked the horn accidentally. He's like, ah! <laughs> you know, he's just uh, um, so easily kind of frightened. You know what I mean? So I pierced the toast. <laughs> pierced the toast, right? Oh man! And you know, Robin Williams is a treasure, man. Yeah, I think we talked about him actually when we did our Disney episode. But um, you know, I mean, and what I love about Robin Williams in this movie is he's kind of playing the straight man in a way. I mean, he's right, ki- right, he's right. he's in comparison to Nathan Lane, he's not nearly as flamboyant as he usually is in a lot of other roles. And I love that. I love the fact that apparently uh, Robin Williams requested that role for himself because oh, okay. he wanted he, he wanted to portray someone a little bit less a uh, little bit less flamboyant than his usual roles. But okay. I just think the two of them work so well together. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I mean, you know, it's a great uh, supporting cast as well. I mean, Gene Hackman, who's been on hiatus for I don't know how many years now, bring him back, man. I mean, he is an actor, dude. Like he, uh, you know, he can do so many different roles. I mean, I loved him in Unforgiven, which was a Western. And I love him in The Birdcage, where he plays kind of this creepy politician. Um, and you're right, man. How funny is it? Not funny. I shouldn't say funny because it's not. But how kind of sadly funny is it that his character in that film is literally, you know, probably 50 percent of Washington right now as far from on the conservative side, at least. Um, so it's kind of sad, but kind of ironic at the same time, because that was supposed to be a caricature. And now that's kind of the world we live in. So we, we've come so far, <laughs> but we've got so far to go. Yeah. Tell me about it. Uh, so crossover on not only the same movie, but the same number. Uh, well, for me, it's my number four. So the birdcage for both of us, man, which I guess swings us back over to you for your next pick, man. So representing the B category, bisexual, I, I talked about recently my my bisexuality on the Epic Film Guys podcast. We did a 25th anniversary retrospective of Batman Forever. Mm-hmm. And I talked about the fact that the trifecta of Batman Returns, Batman Forever, and Batman and Robin is what formed me into the bisexual that I am today. <laughs> Interesting. I haven't listened to that yet. Now I'm putting that on as soon as we're done. I'm sure there were other factors, uh, but but they were instrumental, I suppose. And like, wow, everyone in this movie is hot. But, but the movie that really introduced me to the idea of sexuality as a concept that can be fluid and indeterminate was the original midnight movie the rocky horror picture show okay yeah sure 1975 i see i struggle with this because really in media bisexuals are or bisexuality is not really well represented Mm. or at least not as well represented as it should be the portrayal of bisexual people is often how people kind of perceive bisexuals in the first place where you know they can't commit you know they're constantly cheating on their partner like i've seen it constantly in media movies and tv shows that bisexuals are portrayed this way Mm -hmm. i so i struggled 
but the Rocky Horror Picture Show was groundbreaking in a way for its portrayal of kind of an anything goes mentality when it comes to sexuality. You know, everything's in this movie. You right. have like free love, you have uh, transvestism, you have incest. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's all here. <laughs> yeah, it's all um, there, buddy. So, in a way, it's groundbreaking. I also think that it's a bit problematic in that you have this virgin couple, Brad and Janet, mm -hmm. who lose their virginity to Frank and Furter. And it's really questionable whether or not they consent to it. it, it arguably, Frank rapes them yeah. uh, in turn. But I think I'm able to overlook that because a, ma a major theme of the movie is, is loss of innocence, mm -hmm. um, shedding inhibitions, shedding conventions just letting your freak flag fly yeah um one of the lines in the movie is give yourself over to absolute pleasure so really that is kind of in lockstep with the culture surrounding the movie itself you know you have people who have never seen the movie before going to screenings they're virgins you know um and they're naive in a way and then the movie has their you know the movie has its way with them and then they come out the other side a different person most likely a weirder person for having experienced this movie right so in a way that kind of mirrors the culture for other reasons i mean it's absolutely indestructible rock and roll yeah uh, soundtrack uh, unforgettable performances i mean tim curry is Dude. literally legendary. out of this world yeah. in this movie yeah legendary uh, and you know an aesthetic that appeals to me specifically it demonstrates a reverence of classic you know uh sci-fi and horror b movies while adding kind of a uh, a perverse edge all its own and so all of that compounds into a movie that i love very dearly and kind of was again a, a movie that introduced me to the concept of sexuality as being something uh, more fluid than what i was always told yeah sure. so I think it was so wholly embraced by the LGBTQ community because it's kind of become a refuge for anyone who's ever felt like a weirdo or an outcast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's become adopted by people who, you know, just want to be accepted for who they are right. unapologetically, right. Um, just like the characters in this movie. So it's no small wonder why the Rocky Horror Picture Show became a full tilt boogie cultural phenomenon that is still playing in movie theaters 45 years later to this day i mean well movie theaters are closed across well, the country yeah, now but, but <laughs> I, know you, I know what you mean <laughs> yeah but it's, it's still the phenomenon that it was back then yeah i mean phenomenon is the right word that's actually what i was just about to say it's a phenomenon so uh, i agree with you man i mean it's a classic it's a legendary film uh and you know tim curry man i mean it, it's just one of those movies and you know you were talking about how it's still shown uh in theaters you know annually that's going to go on forever, bro. I mean, you know, Rocky Horror is one of those films, and there's not a ton of them. I mean, you could list maybe 20 or 30 films that just will never die, you know, and I feel like Rocky Horror is one of those. And it is a great representation because uh, even how outlandish and fucking crazy it is, uh, the point is, is you can be as crazy as you want to be as long as you're being yourself and as long as you're expressing, you know, in this case, whatever your sexuality may be, you know, just do it. Just be who you are, you know, and at the end of the day, I feel like Rocky Horror really captures that. It's a, it really in a freaky kind of fucked up way, but it does get that message out there. So uh, I'm glad to hear that speaks to you as well. I love that movie, man. It didn't make my list, but I do love that movie, and I considered it. It was on my initial list when I made my, my like I said, I had 20 initially, and it was on there. So, All right, so from Rocky Horror to uh, my number three. So my number three is a lot less happy than Rocky Horror, a lot less fun, okay? 
but this film uh, has always been one of my favorite films since I saw it in the early 90s. It came out in 1993, as I'm looking it up here on, on Letterboxd. It was directed by Jonathan Demme. It's a film called Philadelphia, starring Mr. Tom Hanks, would be my number three. I assume you've seen this, Brian? Uh, not for a long time, but... Okay. You, oh, you mean you haven't seen it in a while, you mean? Correct, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, just a real quick brief synopsis of it, but it is uh, following the story of Andrew Beckett, which is portrayed by Tom Hanks. He won the Academy Award for his role in this movie, and he contracts HIV and AIDS. He's a lawyer, and his uh, and this is in the 80s, so it's right when you know AIDS started becoming kind of forefront in the media, and people didn't really know what it was. It was considered the gay plague at the time. Um, you know, they thought only gay people could get it and give it to each other, and you know, they just didn't really know a lot about it, and medic- medicine had not quite caught up yet to what it was. So it was a very scary thing, especially if you were homosexual at the time, obviously. And uh, that's what Andrew, that's who Tom Hanks is portraying, and he contracts it in the 80s. So his law firm finds out that he uh, has AIDS kind of without him uh, divulging that information. They kind of find that out and they fire him and they give some BS reason about, you know, incompetence or whatever, where he's like a really good lawyer. So that's not the reason. So he, uh, you know, files a wrongful termination lawsuit as a result because of discrimination against him for being gay and for uh, having HIV. So it's a courtroom drama at its core. But what I love about this movie um, I mean, the number one thing are the performances by Hanks and Denzel Washington, who portrays his lawyer uh, in his case. So powerhouse performances and just they will make you feel, brother. I mean, these two guys will make you feel uh, things in this movie. And uh, this was really the first turn for Tom Hanks to that drama. Because, you know, prior to this, he was a comedy guy. He was a rom-com guy. I want to say the movie he did right before this was You've Got Mail. <laughs> so, I mean, this was a like a 180 for him, you know, and he was devoted to this role and the amount of research that he did, uh, you know, um, uh, researching and investigating with people that have AIDS and that were in the gay community. And he got really kind of attached to this community. Uh, to kind of sink himself into this role. You know, he famously broke down at the Academy Awards when he won the uh, Oscar for it because of his involvement with people that, you know, died from it and their family members and things like that. So he was very uh, connected to the story and probably forever will be as a result of making this movie uh, to the gay community, I mean. So it's a very powerful performance by him. Denzel Washington kind of plays his, um, you, you know, like he's fearful of the gay community and he is kind of like doesn't want to, you know, like he, it was so, there was a lot of ignorance going around, right, in the 80s because nobody knew. So you thought you could get it by shaking hands, for example. So Denzel was kind of like that, you know. And he kind of throughout the course of the movie, he comes, he becomes friends with Tom Hanks's character. And in a way, he becomes friends with that lifestyle and he kind of gets it. And he realizes like, okay, I was stupid. Like you can't get it just by being in the same room with people. And like, you know, and the ignorance kind of went away. Um, But this is a powerful movie, man. And it's a, it's a pretty basic singular story, but the performances in it and kind of how Hanks's character kind of carries the flag early on uh, to win this case because he does win the case. You know, spoiler alert. Sorry, uh, that's actually not the end of the movie though. It goes on beyond that. But uh, I know. But yeah, no, it, it's it's a great movie, man. I don't mean to drone on about it, but I love it, and it's it's a tough watch. And that's what's weird to me because I do revisit it often, you know, and I showed my daughter this a couple years ago and she loved it, but it's just a great movie with, with some amazing performances in this film. And the last scene in the film, uh, you were talking about spoilers, but the last scene in the film to have 
that Neil Young song playing over Andrew Beckett's like kind of funeral memorial when everybody's there. Oh, bro. I mean, I will. Lit- there is no shot in hell that you would put that scene on under any circumstance, and I won't cry. I mean, I'm just gonna tell you right now, I, I will cry every single time that that scene is played uh, because I reflect on his story from this movie and how powerful it was and how important that it was. So, Philadelphia will be my number three. What are your? Do you have any memories of this film, man? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it wrecked me. It did when I first saw it as a as a teen, and um, I, I think what's kind of amazing about this film is that it's from my memory or from my understanding, it's like basically the first mainstream Hollywood movie to center around the subject of AIDS. And this was mm-hmm. during a time when there was rampant um, AIDS paranoia. Mm-hmm. And so for a film to tackle the subject with such sensitivity and with such um, like the fact that it challenged so many perceptions of what AIDS was and what it did and um, who could who could contract it. So as, as you said, I mean, the, the film definitely, I think, is essential for pretty much all human beings to see. I mean, it's impossible yeah. to watch this film and not come away from it moved or changed in some way. Um, fantastic performances. I mean, you said it all, man. So, yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, the one scene where Hanks is playing Maria Callas, the female opera singer for Denzel, uh, when they're having kind of like their rehearsal for court the next day. And Hanks is detached from his rehearsal with Denzel, and he just wants to talk to him about the music that's being played. And I don't know if you reflect on the scene that I'm talking about, but it's the one where the color, you know, Demi changes the colors to like deep reds. And Hanks is just lost in the song. And he is uh, translating, because it's in Italian, it's an opera, so he's translating to Denzel uh, what Maria Callas is saying, which, by the way, she's a very tragic figure as well. So knowing her background is an added layer to this that I feel like Demi did on purpose. But, um, you know, Hanks is translating her lyrics to Denzel, and it's like his story, you know, and he's saying, uh, you know, the house that cradled me is burning, uh, you know, and he just feels like uh, all of his loved ones are leaving him or, or are gone, you know. Uh, and he's translating this, and Denzel, you can see the, the single tear come down the eye. <laughs> Denzel's a master, bro. So <laughs> the, the Oscar tear. <laughs> That's right, dude. Uh, but yeah, just that one scene alone, man, is just like gets me every single time. Uh, but yeah, Philadelphia, my number three, man. So I am gonna shut up now about Philadelphia, and I'm gonna let you give us your uh, next pick, Brian. What do you got, man? So T stands for transgender, and I, I, I think there's. I mean, think about for a second, like how many films you can count on one hand where, first of all, transgender representation features at all. But there is a quietly revolutionary indie movie that came out in 2014 called Boy Meets Girl, mm-hmm. um, which is a romantic comedy that features a confident and capable out transgender woman as its main character, which is so rare. You mm-hmm. don't see it. You just don't see it in movies. The film tells the story of Ricky, played by, played by Michelle Henley, who's a transgender woman living in a small town in Kentucky who develops a relationship with uh, uh, another local young woman named uh, Francesca. Meanwhile, Ricky's childhood friend Robbie discovers that he may have romantic feelings towards her. So most films establish their characters as explicitly gay or explicitly uh, straight. But Boy Meets Girl understands that things aren't always so black and white. Mm -hmm. Um, So the characters talk about sexuality often, but never once do they definitively state their own sexual preference, which I think is just a huge leap forward for the romance genre in general, that it depicts people having 
physical and emotional relationships with people, regardless of their gender. Sure. Um, there's a moment where Ricky and, and Francesca are in bed together and Francesca's kind of talking out loud. She's saying like, so what, what does it make me now that like, now that we've slept together, what does this make me? Does it make me a lesbian? Does it make me bi-curious? Mm-hmm. And Ricky responds like, I think it just means you're human. Mm-hmm. So it shows a very compassionate understanding that labels are not what make us human. Rather, it's the you know personal connections that we forge with others that allow us to express our humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the film suffers from some kind of blunt and simplistic characterization from the film's um, conservative characters, like kind of the antagonists of the movie, which are kind of at odds with the empathy that the film demonstrates towards the you know the non-straight mm-hmm. central characters. But I, I think. You know, you're you're supposed to have kind of um, bigoted attitudes that challenge the non-conforming behavior, I guess, or the non-conforming lifestyles of the <laughs> of the uh, gay characters. So I'm not trans, uh, but it, you know, it seems to be a sensitive portrayal. I think it's a huge deal that sure. it's a trans woman actually in the main role because. As we've seen from Hollywood, you know, you cast like Eddie Redmayne and the Danish girl or, or um, Jared Leto in Dallas Buyers Club. Right. And so there are trans actors out there who can play these roles and play them from a sense of um, understanding and just being. Um, so like I said, it's extremely rare to see a narrative with transgender representation at all, but it's even more rare to see it front and center sure. in a film such as um, Boy Meets Girl, which is very funny um, and ultimately very touching and honest. Do you have the year on that one, Brian? I've never seen this one. 2014. Like I said, it's a small, small, small indie movie. Okay. But it well, I wonder really if I took... can catch it, though. I can probably find it, right? It's probably streaming or no? I, I'm sure you could somewhere. Okay. Um, I also know that it's available on DVD. Um, okay. But I'm check it out. Absolutely. I'd recommend it wholeheartedly. Yeah, I'm gonna, it's on my list now, that, especially now that the God of Podcasting mentioned it. I got to I got to see it now. <laughs> I don't want you to smite me. It sounds uh, it sounds beautiful, man. What what was the show with uh, Jeffrey Tambor? Did you ever watch that? What was that? Transparent. Yeah. So was that? Uh, did you ever watch that? No, I didn't. You but did, I, you I, didn't. I heard I heard good things um, about like the show in terms of its quality, but there was a bit of backlash. Yeah, that's what um, I was asking. That's why I was for curious. the for the casting of a cis. Okay. actor in the in the role of a transgender person okay yeah that's why i was asking because i remember i've never seen it but uh, i heard good things and then i heard that maybe it wasn't as sensitive as it should have been and I, I was just wondering where you stood on that but i was i wasn't sure if you'd seen it okay so uh boy meets girl is your uh well i won't say runner up <laughs> so you're doing what you're doing over there but it's your t-pick it's your t-pick right. it's your t-pick all right so my number two um i think it's not going to surprise you because i know you listen to my show and i know there's a lot of regular listeners in my show that are probably waiting for me to mention this movie uh i'm infatuated with this film man i saw it uh when it came out back in 2017 and uh you know similar in a way to my Brokeback mountain pick the love story just spoke to me uh and also very similar to Brokeback, it was a friendship um, and kind of like a mutual companionship between two dudes that blossomed into a romance. But uh, it was heartbreaking and beautiful at the same time. Call Me By Your Name is my number two. It's my runner-up. Right now you may not want to feel anything. Maybe you never wanted to feel anything. And uh, maybe it's not to me you want to speak about these things, but... Uh feel something you obviously did. Look, you had a beautiful friendship. 
maybe more than a friendship. And I envy you. My place, most parents would hope the whole thing goes away. Pray their sons land on their feet, but I am not such a parent. We rip out so much of ourselves to be cured of things faster that we go bankrupt by the age of 30 and have less to offer each time we start with someone new. But to make yourself feel nothing so as not to feel anything, what a waste. Uh, you've seen this or no? Sure have, yeah. Before I go too deep. Okay. <sighs> I don't know where to start, man. So, well, first of all, from a, just merely from a craft standpoint, I feel like Timothy Chalamet, well, first of all, hello world, this is Timothy Chalamet, uh, kind of his coming out party, you know, no pun intended, in this movie, absolutely just fucking like floored me uh, as an actor in this film, especially a young actor uh, who was really brand new on this scale of filmmaking. Uh, just such a performance that would really, it was magnetic, dude. Like it would suck you into uh, what he must have been feeling um, in his portrayal of this character. Uh, at least that's in my opinion. He was nominated for the Academy Award for this. He lost to Gary Oldman that year. And I remember thinking, because I, as you know, I know you're not an awards guy, but as you know, I am. And I follow the Oscars closely and I make predictions through the whole thing. Uh, I knew he wasn't going to win, but he should have won that year based on what he did on camera. Uh, there's a couple very subtle things that, you know, I'm not an actor, but uh, the craft itself, I mean, actors would revel at this. You know, like the scene when he's basically admiring Army Hammer on the dance floor when he's dancing to Psychedelic Furs and uh, he's smoking a cigarette and drinking his drink and he's just sitting there kind of admiring him. Uh, you can see in his eyes and the way that he's kind of, uh, contemplating like what to do about his desire for this person and no words are said it's literally just the camera panning on him and then cutting over to army dancing and then cutting back to him and you can just feel in his eyes and in his mannerisms you know the desire that he has for this person at least i could uh and that's a testament to his acting in this film but this is just a beautiful love story, man. I mean, we were talking about, and I'm going to talk about it again here in a moment, but Portrait of a Lady on Fire, the same thing, uh, in my opinion. But the ending of this film and the ending of that film, I mean, come on, bro. I mean, <laughs> bury me dead in the backyard. Like, I rest in peace, Gerald, you know, when I see those scenes. They're so heartbreaking, uh, so torturous to get through, but in a way where it's so rewarding for the viewer. It is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. But, you know... Now, of course, we know they're they're talking about doing a sequel, and I know another book was written for this, but uh, we didn't know that at the time, or at least I didn't. So, you know, think about it this way, man, and I, I'm sure you'll know what I'm talking about because you've seen it, but when, um, you know, they're saying goodbye to each other, Elo and Oliver are saying goodbye to each other, and he's getting on the train, you know, and uh, he's going back to America, and they have to say goodbye to each other, and just think, and especially before social media, right? Before FaceTime, before all that shit. Because this takes place in the 80s, by the way, which also um, uh, is a big deal to me. But they're saying goodbye to each other. And they know, because of this forbidden kind of summer romance that they've had, that no one can know about. They know that that's the last time I'm going to see this person. This person that is arguably my soulmate, that is that I'm definitely in love with, and I'm definitely infatuated with, they are letting go of my hand right now and I'm never going to see them again. Like how impactful is that if you put yourself in that situation or possibly if you've ever been in that situation. So this movie wrecked me much like some of the other ones that we've mentioned tonight. 
Uh, and it's just so beautiful, man. It's just shot so beautifully. It's in Italy, so it's it's all just beautiful landscapes and cinematography is amazing. The music is amazing. Uh, I love this movie, man. So call me by your name. How do you feel about it? I'm curious to know. I I have mixed emotions about call me by your name. I I think my biggest gripe with the film is that it's not gay enough. <laughs> okay. Um, and, do, and what do I mean, tell, do tell. <laughs> what what I mean by that is that whenever there is a chance to show intimacy between the two characters, Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer's characters. Mm-hmm. The camera is always like a hundred feet away from them. Mm-hmm. It, it it never really feels like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, in my opinion. That movie captured real intimacy. Sure, yeah. Whereas, whereas Call Me by Your Name, it was almost like, and I know this is not necessarily the case because the director. Um, is gay. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe the screenwriter is gay. So, but it seems like the movie is afraid to just go there, it, it, to just allow them to be close, allow them to be intimate. Okay. Um, and I feel like the audience is always kept at a distance, and it's frustrating because you want to feel that relationship, you want to feel that kind of physical attraction, but you, but mm-hmm. to me, you never really felt it, at least in the way that I felt that I should have um, as an audience member. However, once the film, and again, this is not necessarily a a spoiler per se, but once the film goes into the, the portrayal of loss Mm -hmm. of a relationship of, you know, of a summer, even not just a summer fling, but just like in general loss of someone that you have grown close to, Mm -hmm. um, it destroyed me because I was going through a breakup at the time Mm -hmm. and the sense of comfort that Timothy Chalamet gets from his parents. I mean, there's a conversation with Michael Stuhlbarg in the film that reminded me a lot of a conversation I had with my own mother around the time. So that those aspects really spoke to me. And the last shot of the movie is Mm -hmm. just so breathtaking. So I have mixed emotions about it. I do think that it is effective in portraying the loss of a relationship, Mm -hmm. but I never felt for the relationship itself. That's interesting, and I appreciate you sharing that with me. I mean, obviously, I disagree because it because I remember when I saw it and when I've rewatched it, I do feel that. Um, I'm not a gay man, though, so I don't – you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I'm just seeing that through the eyes of just kind of like a, a bystander or a, a, just from an audience perspective. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm not, uh, neutral saying, party. I'm not saying we need to see, like, hardcore sex scenes, or I'm not saying we need to see More them. intimate, though, is what you're saying. Yeah, just like more um, – I guess if the camera had more of a presence in, see, I don't know. I feel, I always felt like whenever they were sharing a moment, it's like we were always at a distance, and it's yeah. like no, get get close and see the nuance and see the mm-hmm. um, development of the relationship. You know, I, I don't for, know. I, you know, I don't know this because I haven't read anything on this. I don't know if there is anything to read that even exists uh, between the filmmaker or the author. But uh, you know, I know there was a bit of controversy surrounding it because I guess you know the character's underage, Chalamet's underage at the time, and there was. Uh, I don't know, like a 10 year age difference or something to that effect with Army Hammer. So I know that people were, you know, I can remember me, me and my daughter um, going to see this in the theater. And we were, this is an interesting story that will lend to my point. And we were waiting in line at concessions to get, you know, popcorn or whatever. And uh, this wasn't, this was before my Alamo was open, Brian. So don't be mad at me. <laughs> this is <was> AMC. <clears throat> oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> but uh, we were at AMC and we were in line at concessions. And uh, a lady uh, in front of us that we didn't know, a stranger, asked what we were seeing, you know, just like making small talk. 
And we told her that we were going to see Call Me By Your Name. And she was like, oh, get ready. And she was like on the side of like, I can't believe that they, you know, put this underage uh, gay relationship on camera. I saw it last week. And like, she was not a fan of it. And uh, my daughter had read the book. So my daughter knew the story. And my daughter kind of schooled her a little bit. <laughs> like, you know, uh, basically saying age is just a number in so many words. But uh, well, it seems like we kept it friendly. But, you know, I know that that was a thing, too. So I don't know. I don't know if that played into their psyche a little bit when they made the film. I'm not sure. But uh, that seems like a woman who read a headline and decided to get outraged about it. I mean, for, <laughs> right. for from my understanding, the research that I've done, uh, the character 17. So, I mean, he's on the cusp of. 18 right being being 18 anyway 18 is the age of consent in the united states it's not so in italy Mm -hmm. it's it's younger in italy so potato potato yeah absolutely and what i told our our mutual friend dan because we talked about this movie i can't remember what it was about i apologize but it was a previous list that dan was a guest of mine on and he was a critic of, of that relationship because of the age difference and you know what i tried to tell him and of course i respect his opinion but what i tried to tell him was it was really strange, and I don't know if you felt this way, but it was really strange to me because I never thought about their ages when I was watching it. Like, I knew that, and my daughter had given me a little bit of background on the book. And I guess in the book, it's a little more talked about uh, how young he is, but they don't really mention it in the movie so much. But I never cared because I was rooting for them so much. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it was almost like... It was almost like they were just ageless. I don't know. It's hard. To, it's hard to explain. Like I, it never came into my uh, field of vision until I read different headlines and stuff. That people were worried about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could view the relationship as somewhat predatory, right. but it seems like in a lot of ways, Chalamet's character kind of instigates it. And I know that that's mm-hmm. not necessarily. I mean, the legal definition of of statutory rape or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It might not fit that definition, but it seems like Chalamet is the one kind of wanting to dive in headfirst. And that I agree and, with that. And, and I don't think an age difference is that big a deal if they're both consenting. Um, well, I should say, I, I was about to say consenting adults. He's not quite an adult. But again, <laughs> the age of consent is different in Italy. I don't know exactly how it all works. Yeah, I mean, you but, have I mean to- I've had sex with people 10 years yeah, sure. Ten years older than me. So, like, I mean, to me, the difference of the age does not necessarily matter. I think people might be troubled at the fact that he is seven. You know, Timothy Chalamet's character is meant to be seventeen. Right. Well, one year away from being eighteen. I, I know. Think. I know. <laughs> I mean, I to could me, talk it's about not as big a deal. But. I, I could talk about "Call Me by Your Name" all night. Uh, I'm just a huge fan of this movie. It's a five star film for me. I think you know this already, but it was in my top five films of the decade. That's amazing. Uh, uh, the last 10 years, I want to say I had it three or four. I can't remember, but... Uh, I'm really glad you love it. Yeah, I love this movie, man. So, all right, so that's my runner-up. We are up to our final picks, man. I'm not going to say number one, but what do you have next on your list over there, Brian? So, phrases like throwing shade have become part of our collective lexicon. Um, RuPaul's Drag Race has become an institution. Uh, Madonna had a hit song about what it means to be Vogue. But, but very few people know where these things all originated. And the answer to that is mostly queer people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so my cue pick, or my number one, so to speak, um, it is Jenny Livingston's indispensable documentary, Paris is Burning, from 1990. Another one I haven't seen. Talk to me a little you bit about this. You have to see this movie I immediately. Want to. Talk to me a little bit about it. Uh, this is a documentary about the ball scene in New York City and, and in Harlem in the, in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, it highlights drag queens, voguers, and uh, trans women 
uh, who are for the most part African American or Latino, Latina, and, and they compete in these competitions of self-expression involving fashion and dance. It's a mere 75 minutes long, but in okay. that 75 minutes, it completely envelops the audience into this vivid world. And it introduces us to a variety of, of um, these subjects who are who have like fully realized character arcs. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Some of these arcs are, are, are joyous, some are tragic, and it also manages to fit in themes of, um, you know, gender and class and race and, you know, expressing one's identity. So... All of that, just in this little movie, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it is very joyous, but it does not shy away from the hatred, uh, the brutality that these people endured. These are people who are just trying to express themselves in the most fabulous way possible. <laughs> and right. they, they, they are just trying to live and survive. Uh, but because society rejected them, mm-hmm. they formed their own society. Um, and the movie is really just about them trying to live their best life despite being poor, despite being oppressed. Um, you know, they they scrounge whatever money they have to buy, you know, the most fabulous outfits that they possibly can scrounge up. And, and they just forget their troubles and they just dance and they're free. Um, so I think this documentary, in a lot of ways, blazed the trail by educating viewers on a subculture that has now morphed into just culture in general. Mm-hmm. It's exuberant and yet uncompromising. It shows the power of creativity and community. I think it's, I said it about Philadelphia earlier, but I'm saying it uh, about Paris is burning. It's impossible to come away from unchained, unchanged. Mm-hmm. Anyone who watches this movie who has a prejudice against gay people, if they were to watch this movie, I don't understand how you could watch it and not still have hate in your heart mm-hmm. uh, when the credits roll. I think it's essential viewing, and especially okay. for Pride for Pride Month. Like, sure. if you have not seen Paris is Burning, do yourself a favor. Um, it's in. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. It was on Netflix, but um, it's part of the Criterion Collection, and it should be because it's oh, just good, good. outstanding. All right, well, it's on my to-do list, like, immediately. I might actually watch it tonight while I'm... Uh Putting back some of this stuff, man. This is a Paris is burning, and it's a documentary. What year did you say, Brian? Nineteen ninety. Okay, nineteen ninety. Did it touch on the AIDS epidemic at all, or no? I'm just Absolutely, curious. Absolutely, it does. It, it does. does. It does. Okay, because that was obviously a big time. So I was just curious about that. Okay, it's so not, it's not a major part because again, it focuses it mainly focuses on the the culture, the drag culture, the okay. ball culture. Um, but it's That's still ingrained great. in these people's lives because that was life back then sure yeah absolutely man especially with all the uncertainty surrounding it you know what i mean uh great okay so paris is burning you're giving me some homework here man because i haven't seen boy meets girl and i haven't seen paris is burning so uh, that actually really excites me to be honest um i'll be i'll be checking those out soon man okay so that's uh brian's five we're gonna do a wrap up here in just a second lloyd but real quick you already mentioned my number one and you started us off with it as portrait of a lady on fire so uh you know you said it beautifully man and i was so bummed that i didn't get a chance to make your corn screening for that because uh my kids and life and whatever (laughs) i remember it was like i wanted to and i just couldn't but um I popped in at the end to say hello to you because I love this movie so much. But yeah, man, you already touched on what I really wanted to mention about it. But uh, especially on my list, you know, the female gaze and seeing these types of relationships and these types of love stories. uh, And I'm talking about lesbian specifically told through uh, the female gaze, I feel like was so important 
And it was in such a uh, kind of unprecedented time for that type of relationship, too, um, where it's set so far back in history that, you know, kind of like what you said before, you know, it's just not going to be accepted. You know what I mean? It's just an unaccepted kind of a doomed relationship from the beginning. And, you know, we've talked about this with really all of these films, to be honest, including Birdcage, but just so beautiful. I mean, the cinematography, the production design, uh, just amazing. And in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, it's literally like, um, you know, I, I assume you have this on, on your TV. I know I know Justin does on his on his Dolby Vision, but where you uh, have the screensavers come up and it has the different landscapes and stuff, you know what I'm talking about? So I feel like you could do Portrait of a Lady on Fire on mute and it could be a screensaver. I mean, it is so beautiful the way this film is shot. And the subtlety in the relationship between these two main characters are really what was so intriguing to me. And I'm saying that as a straight dude because, uh, not to be too crass, but you would see a movie um, or you would expect to see a movie with two attractive females that are in a lesbian relationship and you would expect to kind of see some hot and heavy stuff. And it is sexy. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are scenes that are very romantic and very sexy, but the subtlety uh, in the way that it's portrayed is what's sexy as opposed to what we think of as a mainstream society as being sexy, if if what I'm saying is making any sense. So, Perfectly, yeah. Okay, cool. So that's what I really loved about it, man, is it was almost like almost like a little bit of like a tease factor, but you but but that fit so well with what, what you were watching and it and it brought a new kind of relevance to that story, I thought. Um, that frankly we just don't see very often. You know, Celine Sciamma is an amazing filmmaker. There's another film that she did several years ago that I wanted to somehow fit on this list called Water Lilies, which uh, have you ever seen Water Lilies by chance? I've not. That's an amazing film. It was actually her debut. And that was also a lesbian relationship between two, uh, what ultimately are two like high school uh, girls on the swim team. Um, and that, that was a very similar uh, love story that she did too, because it was forbidden and they didn't want their parents to know and so on and so forth. So it was also a forbidden kind of lesbian love story. But she did that. She did that then too. It was a very subtle uh, romance. It wasn't outlandish. You mentioned blue is the warmest color, which is the first thing that comes to mind. You know, I'm not, I mean, I'm a fan of that movie. Like, I think that's a good movie, but you, it's so crazy how you can see the differences in the lesbian relationships if you put those two movies next to each other. And it's because of who's behind the camera. And in this case, you have a female filmmaker. Uh, I don't know if she's lesbian. Do you know if Celine Sciamma is or not? She is, yes. Okay, she is. So you have a female fem- uh, filmmaker who is also a lesbian. So you can see the obvious difference and the obvious attachment that she has to this project and to the other one that I mentioned, Water Lilies as well. So I just love it, man. I mean, you know, much like Call Me By Your Name, I could literally uh, do a whole hour on Portrait. It is. Uh, it was my number one f- movie of the year last year. I'm in the uh, film independent, so I got. I was lucky enough to get a screener from them for this movie, and I saw it like in November of last year. And uh, I just, way before I did. <laughs> yeah, I went to see it again at the Alamo, though. You'll be happy to know uh, when they put it up on. I wanted to see it on the big screen so bad, and it was uh, me and my daughter went to see it, and it was great. So I, I love it, man. It's uh, one of the best films, really ever, but definitely of the last. <laughs> I mean, really, but definitely, yeah. but definitely of the last ten or fifteen years, man. So just a beautiful love story. You, uh, you know, spoke on it beautifully earlier. Early Earlier as well so portrait of a lady on fire guys i mean come on dude if you have it's still i think it's still on hulu is that right brian sure is and especially for pride month guys i mean portrait now you're, you're gonna have to read subtitles but i gotta be honest with you i put subtitles on for everything <laughs> me too no me too <laughs> i just have them on now like you know the nightly news i'm just watching subtitles you know what i mean um but yeah put on the subtitles because it's a french film and uh, you'll have to have that but 
It is a beautiful love story. And there's social commentary kind of built into this movie too, Brian. There's some little subplots with the kind of housemaid and stuff that kind of speak to the female experience back then um, that I enjoyed that didn't really, uh, you know, they didn't have to be there. You know, I'm putting that in air quotes, you know what I mean? They didn't have to be there for the overall story. But the and I'll just end on this, Brian, and I think you'll probably back me up here. But the last, like, two minutes of this movie, soul-crushing cinema. Like, when I saw that... The last two minutes, the last, the well, last third of well, the movie. Oh, yeah, the last third of it. But you know what I'm talking about, the theater where she's like, oh, Yeah, man. but don't spoil. I, no, 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 no. I'm not going to spoil anything. But, yes, the last, like, act, I guess I, we should say. But, yeah, just soul-crushing um, cinema, man. I mean, my initial review of this film, because I was so breathless, was pure cinema. That was all I said, because I didn't know what else to say. Like, it was just like what we watch movies for i felt like um especially especially love stories so very well said so that's my number one and we uh crossed up there too man portrait of a lady on fire all right brian so we're gonna do our honorable mentions here but before that real quick if you don't mind just go ahead and give a quick wrap up of your five man absolutely so for l portrait of a lady on fire g the birdcage b the rocky horror picture show t boy meets girl and q paris is burning Great list, man. You gave me some homework, which I appreciate. Uh, my top five was Brokeback Mountain, The Birdcage, Philadelphia, Call Me By Your Name, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, Brian, you know I like to round up my top ten, man, so I got five honorable mentions, but I'm going to let you go first. Which ones do you want to shout out that didn't make your top five, buddy? Absolutely. So for the L category, I have Desert Hearts from 1985, mm-hmm. arguably the first film to feature, you know, Hollywood film to feature a uh, positive representation of a lesbian relationship. Uh, you have G, uh, The Way He Looks from 2014. This is a Brazilian film about uh, two high school classmates who fall in love, one of whom is blind. So okay. it's about not just emotional or not just physical attraction, but emotional attraction. Okay. Um, and it's a beautiful story. For B, you have the classic Bob Fosse Cabaret. 1972. Mm -hmm. Um, You have this interesting love triangle embedded within this very harrowing and sinister uh, World War II setting in Berlin. Berlin. Uh, Terrific, terrific film. Great song and dance numbers in that. Um, Mm -hmm. Liza Minnelli, classic. Yeah, man. For T, you had a film a few years ago um, in 2015 called Tangerine. That ended up on my top five list last year. Shot on an iPhone Mm -hmm. uh, from uh, the director, Sean Baker, who also did The Florida Project. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful movie. Mm -hmm. Lastly, uh, another film that ended up on my top list of 2019 last year was Knife and Heart or Knife Plus Heart, Mm -hmm. um, the Yan Gonzalez film. It's a a slasher. Yeah. It's a it's a French slasher film set in a gay porn studio. Mm -hmm. And the killer the masked killer his weapon of choice is a is a dildo with a retractable blade Mm -hmm. so if that doesn't sell you on the movie i don't know what will. i'm in yeah no i heard you and justin both gush about that one last year and i fucking am so upset i still haven't seen it and i thought about trying to watch it for this list but i told you i just i haven't had a chance to fit in as many viewings as i wanted to but that one has been on my to-do list for literally over a year because i heard you guys talk about it so knife plus heart all right so to round out my top 10 actually you didn't mention any of my honorable mentions which is cool so we'll get a little more um, kind of spread around here for the folks that might be listening that want to check out some of these movies for Pride Month. 
So my number six would have, would have been a movie that I love, dude, a psychological thriller called Black Swan uh, by Darren Aronofsky, which I guess would fit in the L category. Natalie Portman, perhaps the best performance of her career, definitely one of the best of her career. Certainly. Uh, and a very sexy Mila Kunis in that as well. Uh, I love David Lynch. I have kind of a soft spot for him. So I threw Mulholland Drive on here. Would be my number seven, another lesbian story, uh, another L. And then I've got at my eight would be I Love You, Philip Morris, which is... Oh, God. uh, Underrated. I love that movie. Yeah, it is underrated, man. And uh, one of Jim Carrey's best performances of of his career that people forget about. I mean, this is underseen and, like you said, underrated. But I Love You, Philip Morris is a great uh, story of loss and longing and uh, and love. So please uh, look that one up, especially if you're a Jim Carrey fan, because it shows his range so well, I feel like. Number nine um, is a more prominent film that uh, won the Academy Award, Moonlight, by another filmmaker that I love, uh, Barry Jenkins. So I know you've probably seen Moonlight. Absolutely. That was one that I debated putting on on my list and my honorable mentions. I, I wanted to mention something uh, a little uh, kind of more off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. Um and but I couldn't I couldn't not go with the birdcage. But Moonlight is absolutely essential. Yeah, love Moonlight. And then my number ten to round out would have been a movie I just saw not too long ago. It's probably been two or three months ago I saw it for the first time. But it's a movie called Carol. Um, I love it. It's uh, Rooney Mara and Kate Blanchett as the main characters. Sarah Paulson's also on it. I'm a big fan of hers. Have you ever seen Carol? Love it. Yeah. Todd Haynes. Yeah, Todd Haynes. That's right. Yeah. Uh, great film, man. Just uh, I don't know if it's five star, but it's probably four and a half. It's, it's an amazing film. So Carol would would have been my number 10. Uh, Brian, you know what I like to do at the end of the episode is head over to social media and see what the fans had to say. You cool with that? Oh, of course. So we got a lot of shout outs for this for Pride Month, man. You know, people are all about it. So that's great. It's fantastic. Uh, I'm going to start over on Twitter. Um, let's see if there's any that haven't been mentioned. I'm kind of, you know, I, I started doing this thing. I don't know if you heard on, on recent episodes, Brian, but I just started doing this about a month ago where I don't read these until the show. So I don't know if that's wise or not, but uh, <laughs> go for it. Let's see Unfiltered, what happens. baby. <laughs> that's right. Let's see what happens. So Michelle D, who's a patron of the show. Thank you so much, Michelle. She's given feedback every week. Also, she's got a couple that we didn't mention. She did say the birdcage, but she also has chasing Amy and but I'm a cheerleader. Oh, but I'm a cheerleader is amazing. That got a ton of shout outs. Uh, and I haven't seen that one. That Who's in that? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it, it is very, very, very funny. It's, um, the, it's the girl from American Pie movies, right? I can't remember her name, though. The kind of reddish blonde hair girl. I considered it for my list. Yeah. But so yeah, I, that's a must see for sure. I need to check that one out, too, because I got a ton of shout outs. Uh, Gidget Von LaRue, good friend of the show. She says Victor. Gidget. Gidget. She says Victor Victoria. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, great film. Mario in the Bar also mentioned Brokeback Mountain. He says it does not matter the sex. It is a wonderful love story. Uh, let's see. Super Movie Bros is probably Dave. He says, uh, does perks of being a wallflower and chasing Amy count? Yeah, sure they do. Yeah, I think chasing Amy for sure. Although he's tur- trying to turn her from gay to straight. I don't know. This could be seen as problematic. It, it could be seen as problematic. <laughs> um, I, I know there's been a lot of think pieces about about it. Um, not age, not having aged well necessarily. Yeah. Um, Perks uh, of Being a Wallflower is an amazing movie. It doesn't really center around sexuality. Uh, the Ezra Miller character Patrick is gay though. So yeah. Um, yeah, you could make that argument certainly. But I mean, both good movies. Yeah, I agree. Definitely good flicks. Uh, Real feels Drew over there says Rent. So yes, yes. rent. Uh, see, I was trying to find a place for rent on my list uh, because even before the Rocky Horror Picture Show, that is the first 
a bit of media where people were like outwardly gay that mm-hmm. I saw. Right, right. Um, so that was pretty influential for me. It was, it, it's a film that moved me immensely when I saw it. Um, I still love it to this day, even though I recognize that the representation, for example, of bisexuality is not particularly very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a good adaptation necessarily of a stage show to mm-hmm. a movie. So it has a lot of shortcomings. I do have a lot of love in my heart for that movie. Yeah, and funny. I wish I could have found a place for it because it meant so much to me. Uh, but that's, I think that's a great pick for sure. I agree. Top five podcast has got a gift from love Simon, which is one that I considered. It came out a couple of years ago. That's a recent one. Do you ever see love Simon? I have problems with it. Yeah, I do too. Uh, I did consider it cause I do like it. Um, but there's so many more that that were that came before it. I feel like that are good. I, I think it's a little bubblegum kind of. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, 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 it I, I appreciate the fact that it's targeted at a young audience. I think it's important for young kids and teens to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the year of our Lord, uh, 2020, or when it came out, it was the year 20. 2018, 2018. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed to be uh, from a very exclusively white, privileged, you know, sure. um, the, the fact that he screwed, screws over his friends. He could just come out at any time because he says, well, um, there are kids at my school who are out that are gay and my parents wouldn't care if I came out. They're pretty understanding. So um, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if I came out. Mm-hmm. And me sitting there as an audience member, I was just screaming the whole time, just just come out because yeah. you're screwing over your friends by not doing it. So <laughs> right, right. I, I am of the belief that you are uh, you have the right to come out in a time and place of your choosing. Yeah. Uh, but Simon is not a likable character in my opinion because uh, all of all of the all of the heartbreak and all of the anguish he puts his loved ones through because he's because he just doesn't want to come out. Right, right. He's not ready. Right, right, yeah. I get it. Uh, I mean, I liked it. I remember I enjoyed my time with it, but I also remember when I reflected on it that I was kind of like you, where I was like, I got problems with it. Do you know what I mean? Um, In terms of its overall message. But like you said, um, I guess it does have a place because the younger, you know, quote unquote gay people or ones that might be uncertain, they might go to it first. Do you know what I mean? Because it's more accessible to them. It's necessary, right? I, I think for for young kids to see, right? Uh, Word Salad Radio. Now, I just was reading this as you were talking, Brian. I don't <laughs> I have to ask your opinion on this. So, before I mention that one, though, they've got a movie called Score, which I don't know. Do you know Score? No. Okay, and I don't know when Night is Falling. Do you know that one? I confess I don't. I don't either. Okay, but here's the third one they mentioned that I want to see where we're going here. But they said Avengers Endgame. Are they trolling us or is that what's going on there? <laughs> where are they good from Endgame? They're definitely trolling us. Um, there, There is that scene in Avengers Endgame where you have a cameo from one of the Russo brothers who is the, quote, first gay character in a Marvel oh, movie. Oh, is that? Okay. So they're so I think somewhat he's, he's trolling po- us. Poking poking fun, yeah. <laughs> Word salad radio. Well, they give feedback every week, so I guess I'll let them get the joke there. Uh, That's it, really funny, though. <laughs> I had to think about that for a second. I'm like, wait a second, what? Uh, okay, uh, MDX Pods, they want to know if Booksmart counts. What do you think? Yeah, sure it does. Sure, why not? I love that movie, though. It's a great film. Uh, the Horror Club mentioned Rocky Horror for you. There you go. Yeah. Swamp Thing on Twitter said Carol, and they've got a gift of Rooney taking her picture there. Uh, Trent Edwards on Twitter says Boys Don't Cry. What do you think about that one? Uh, fantastic. 
Yeah, Hillary Swank, right? Uh, tour de force in that movie. Uh, a couple that I've not heard of that I'll just mention to see if you've heard of them. Uh, Ty Cross on Twitter says, God's Own Country. I have not yet seen God's Own Country, but I, I it's on my radar. I've heard a lot about it. Okay, and then David Thompson on Twitter says, Room in Rome. Do you know that one? I've not seen it. All right. Uh, in My Honest Opinion Reviews on Twitter says, Come on now. <laughs> and they've got a gif of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> Which, uh, no argument from us, obviously. Uh, We agree with them there. Uh, Okay, so we're going to head over to Facebook, guys, and wrap up the show on the fan page. Guys, thank you so much for your feedback every week. If you have not joined up yet to our Facebook fan community, make sure you check the show notes and do that. Because that is where I interact with our fans the most. Brian, yourself included, thank you for all the feedback that you've given over the years, brother. Let's see what we got here on our LGBTQ movies. And I'm going to fly through these. And then if you have any commentary, let me know, Brian. Colby Max got his five. And we've mentioned all of them in one way or another. But he says Black Swan, Carol. Oh, actually, we didn't mention one of them. Uh, Carol, Rent, Philadelphia. And then he says Milk. What do you think about the Harvey Milk biopic? Uh, very moving. Yeah, I dug it, man. Sean Penn at the top of his game there. How about this? Uh, Justin, your boy over there at Epic Film Guys has got Knife Plus Heart. He's got the poster up there. So I know you're going to like that. Terrific. That's his pick. Uh, Chris Yaney's got The Birdcage, Philadelphia, Blue is the Warmest Color, Love Actually, and then Object of My Affection and What Love Is, He's all, he also mentioned. Have not heard of those last two. Object of My Affection is very similar to a Chasing Amy storyline. And I vaguely remember it, but I want to say Paul Rudd is gay and Jennifer Aniston is trying to turn him. So it's like the other way around. Gotcha. Yeah, but I want to say that, unless, Chris, forgive me if that's not the one you're talking about, but I think that's the Jennifer Aniston-Paul Rudd rom-com from about 15 years ago. Uh, Let's see. Jenny Markle over on the Facebook page says, If these walls could talk in and out, but I'm a cheerleader, the birdcage, Philadelphia, and the one that she recently watched, which blew her away, is Thelma. Have you heard of Thelma? No. Yeah, I haven't either. Seems like I have homework to do, too. I know. I guess we all do. Uh, Tony Vandenbush wants to know if Dog Day Afternoon would count. I think so. Absolutely. Yeah. I haven't seen that in a long time. I remember it as a heist movie, but I haven't. I, I, I can't remember. The- it's a heist movie, but the reason for the heist is he's trying to get um, his, his lover a sex change operation. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. I do remember that now. Uh, Amanda Inman's got some powerhouses here. Again, some of these, like, it's arguable whether or not they're considered queer films necessarily. Um, but I, I think it counts as long as they have queer characters in them. Right, right. Uh, Amanda's got uh, one that we didn't mention that uh, actually I'm surprised now that I'm seeing it here typed in front of me. But uh, let me go through the other ones real quick. So Moonlight, Brokeback Mountain, Call Me By Your Name, The Favorite. I know me and you both yeah. love The Favorite. We actually yeah, reviewed, yeah. We reviewed that together on Epic Film Guys. And then uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. What do you think of that? That's a great pick. <laughs> I love such, that. Such a fun film. Yeah, I love that movie, man. I'm surprised I didn't think about it for this for some reason, but yeah, I do love that movie. Uh, let's see. Doug from Good Times Great Movie says Blue is the Warmest Color. Matt Lewinsky's got Rocky Horror. Uh, Becca's got But I'm a Cheerleader. And our buddy uh, Julio from The Contrarians has got a few that we haven't mentioned that I got to be honest with you, I haven't heard. I've heard of the third one that he's got on here. I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. But the three that he listed are A Fantastic Woman, Disobedience, and Pain and Glory. Do you know anything about those? Uh, I have seen, I'm sorry, um, what was the first one he mentioned? A a Fantastic Woman. I have seen A Fantastic Woman. I thought that was excellent. Excellent. Mm -hmm. 
Pain and um, Glory. Pain and Glory is the one Banderas got nominated for last year, right? Yes, I believe so, but I did not see it. I didn't either, but that's the only one of those that I'd heard of, and I do want to see that. It's, an, it's actually on my watch list on Prime. And then I'm going to wrap up with this because uh, I just read it, and I'm like, wow, well, Lloyd's going to love this. But uh, our buddy Nick Speransky said Tangerine, which is one that you mentioned on your honorables. Yeah. There you go. So, look, uh, Lloyd Sauce, you know I love you, man. It's, uh, it's a love fest whenever you come on here because I'm a big fan of yours. And, uh, you know, we're friends in real life. We got to meet in person. And uh, it's just a blast to have you on the show and just, just to know you in general, if I'm being, if I'm being honest. so uh, That's very kind. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, man. Thank you so much. It's for mutual. Being here. Feelings mutual. Thanks, man. Thank you so much for being here, brother. Uh, what do you want to pump up, man? Do you want to tell anybody anything? Do you want to say anything to the world, to the P's, loyals? you want to tell them where to find you? What do you want to do? Man? Go for it. Absolutely. Well, you can hear me often on the Epic Film Guys podcast. So um, Epic Film Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can follow me on Twitter if you want, at GoLoySauceGo. Right. And uh, Pride Month's a big deal, guys. You know, take pride in who you are. I mean, it's the easiest way to say it. But, uh, you know, I'm a straight white dude, so what do I know? But I do, I am an ally, and I do respect everybody's background and everybody's, uh, you know, sexual orientation and just being who you are, you know. And a lot of these films that we, that me and Brian touched on tonight, uh, you know, really show that and they really kind of showcase that. So uh, if you're, even if you're not in the LGBT community, so to speak, but you're maybe you want to know a little bit more about that community, I feel like cinema is an easy end for that, right, Brian? Like just watch some of these movies and kind of see the culture and kind of uh, be introduced and educated on it, is my opinion, you know? Absolutely. Could not have said it better myself. Brian, thanks so much for being here, man. And uh, I'm sure you'll be back on soon. You know, we'll have you back on for something else. I'll bug you and make you come back on for something else in the future. So I, I would love that. Thank you so much, Gerald. And happy Pride Month, everyone. Absolutely, man. I'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks so much. Cheers. Can they be that close? Just let me stay for the record. We're giving love and Thank you for listening. Two Peas is an independent podcast. We rely on donations from our executive producers in order to release new content weekly. Please check the show notes for a current list of all of our executive producers. If you would like to join them to help us continue to release great content, please visit Two Peas on a Pod at patreon.com or check out the show notes for this episode. Again, we sincerely thank you for listening.